Hey, guys, I do want you to have a Bible for this session, so if you do not have one, grab one, because we're going to read a text out of uh, the book of uh, Samuel, and uh, make sure you have a Bible. I want you to get, grab one real quick. Do I have anyone here from Louisiana? Does anybody have roots in Louisiana? Oh, I got one. I got one Louisiana. Well, I figured that up here, you New Englanders wouldn't know much about the Cajun culture. But I, I developed a good Cajun friend several years ago, and he introduced me to some of his buddies. So we get our Bibles, get our Bibles, and then we'll get rock and rolling here. Everybody got a seat back there? Make sure everybody gets a seat. We got some seats here and some over there. Here we go. We're good? We're good. Okay, so here we go. This guy told me the story about his friend Boudreaux. Boudreaux will be working back in the bayou, and Boudreaux will be running short of money, and Boudreaux needs some money. So Boudreaux goes to his friend Thibodeau, and he said, hey, Thibodeau, uh, Boudreaux here, I, I've been needing some money. And he said, well, there, there's a man in town. He's hiring people to work. And Boudreaux said, uh, I've never been to the town much. He said, well, just go in there. You'll see that construction site, and the man will give you a job. So Boudreaux will go in. He walked up to the construction foreman. He said, uh, sir, he said, Boudreaux here need a job. He said, okay, son, I'll put you to work. So he had Boudreaux clean up trash and clean up the construction site. And at the end of the week, Boudreaux walked up to the man. And Boudreaux said, hey, Boudreaux want his money. The man said, we'll give you a check. Boudreaux said, well, what a check be? He said, a check is just like money. He said, you take the check down to the bank. They, you give them the check and they give you money. He said, Boudreaux want no check. Boudreaux want money. He said, no, Boudreaux, you don't understand. I pay all of my men for a check. Take the check, go down to the bank, and they will give you the money. So Boudreaux reluctantly takes the check. He goes down, walks down the street. He sees this bank. He walks into the bank. He walks up to the tailor, and he says, Boudreaux won his money. The guy looks at the check. He looks at Boudreaux, and he says, Boudreaux, you, I did, he didn't know his name. He says, sir, you've got you to sign the check. He's got, you've got to endorse the check. He said, endorse the check? What endorse me? He said, that means you've got to sign it. He said, Boudreaux, I ain't signing nothing. He said, you've got to sign this check. If you want your money, sir, you've got to sign the back of the check. You're not going to get the money. Boudreaux grabbed that check. He walked out of that door and stormed down the street. He sees another bank. Walks in that bank. He walks up, same thing, to the teller. says, Boudreaux won his money. The guy looks at him. And he said, well, you've got to endorse this check, sir. He said, I ain't endorsing nothing. He said, Boudreaux won his money. The guy looks at him and says, uh, are you from down there in Turtle Creek Bayou? You got some family back living up in there. I said, I think I, think I got some family back there. I might know you. Is your name Boudreaux? He said, my name be Boudreaux. He said, Boudreaux, I know you. And he says, come up here. Boudreaux leans up. He grabs Boudreaux, jerks him up across the counter, smacks him four or five times. He throws him back. Snap. I said, sign that check. <laughs> Boudreaux turns the check over and puts the next on him. God gives him his money. Buddha will be walking down the street. He's happy now because Buddha got his money. Buddha walks by the first bank. He sticks his head in the door and he waves the money at the teller. The teller says, how did you get your money? Did, did, you, did you sign the check? He said, of course I signed the check. And the man said, well, how come you signed the check for that man, but you would not sign it for me? He said, because that other man explained it to me. You get that, Pastor? Okay, I just... 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, good. Well, I'm here to explain something to you this morning. So I want all you boudros to get your Bible out. You know what I mean? Let's pray this morning, guys. Father, we thank you for our time together today, and we pray that you will just help us to um, get into your word and let your word get into us. And Father, today, may we be honest enough and transparent enough in this next few minutes together to, Lord, look at the reality of the spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in every day. We're men who are walking through a war zone every single day. And we have a real enemy, and we have real struggles, and we have real challenges. So, Father, I want you to help us to embrace the truth of this message that you've laid on our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm an avid hunter. I hunt all over North America, Alaska. In first October, I'm going brown bear hunting in the peninsula of Alaska. I'll be sleeping out in a little tent with my 375 and my 44 pistol and my knife and uh, waiting for a 10-foot brown bear to come sniffing around my tent and wanting to eat me so I can shoot him before he shoots me. So it would be an act of self-defense. Um, <laughs> at least that's, that's, I'm sticking to that story when the game warden comes around. Anyways, uh, I, I, I got hooked hunting in Africa years ago, about eight years ago. I had a friend of mine call me up, and I've been to Africa on mission trips, but I never hunted in Africa. And he called me up and said, hey, you want to go hunting with us in Zimbabwe? And I said, well, man, I'd love to go hunting in Zimbabwe. I said, what's something like that cost? He said, oh, you don't have to worry about a thing. You're, you're coming as our guest. I said, what? He says, yeah. And he says, I said, well, how much does a flight cost to get over there? And, and he said, well, don't worry about that. I got all these miles. I'm going to cash these miles in. He said, so it's not going to cost you a thing. And I said, well, I better pray about this. I said, when are we leaving? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I, I went with him, and I, I shot like 11 animals in that first season I hunted over in Africa. And I, and I got hooked. I mean, there's nothing like the bush of Africa. Just It's exciting. And so then I, I, I got hunting plains game, and then I started hunting dangerous game. And uh, I, I had some tremendous encounters. I got charged by Cape Buffalo. We'd been tracking this Cape Buffalo, and this Cape Buffalo circled around and was hiding in a palmetto bush off to my left. And it was at the end of the day, and I was gimping around. I, I had, I've had double knee replacements. And this is before my knee replacements. And so I could only walk about 20 minutes. I had to sit down, walk 20 minutes, sit down. I had a Zulu tracker. And this tracker, he didn't speak any English, and he got, he got getting frustrated with me because I couldn't keep up with them. And we were messing up this hunt, getting on these old bulls. And so uh, it was at the end of the day, my, and my hunter usually walk in a straight line, and my professional hunter, my PH, he's walking beside me. And we're, we're walking through there. Suddenly out of my peripheral vision, I see movement. I turn my head, and there is a Cape Buffalo charging me right here. And I just instinctively threw my gun up and shot him right in the front shoulder. Boom! Hit him a second time. And when I hit him the second time, he's right here now. When I hit him the second time, he turned, and he ran right across in front of me. Boom! I hit him a third time. Did not even slow that beast down. And I'm shooting a, 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 a 375 Ultra Mag with a 300-grain bullet, and it just didn't even hardly, you know, sprinkle fairy dust on him. He just, you know, <laughs> running off into the woods. And, and I, 
we, we got him off in the woods, and, and he's off in a real thick bush, and we're big blood trail, and we're trailing him. I see him up there again. Now he's up ahead of us about 50 yards, turn around facing us. And so I raise my gun up, boom, I hit him again. And right under the chin, right in his chest. I mean, I should have dropped him right down. It did, and he broke, and he started running. And he started running over here, and he was getting ready to go into a real thick jungle that was going to be very dangerous to try to track him in. And so the Zulu guy hollers at my, at my guy in his Zulu language and says, we've got to run to intercept him over here. There's one little clearing. That's our last chance to kill him before we'll probably lose him. So the guy hollers at me, we've got to run. We've got to run over here to this place. Well, I take off. The drilling hits me, and I start running through the bush, chasing a buffalo, trying to intercept him at this angle. And here's this skinny, tall Zulu tracker. Okay, and he's running full speed. Okay, he's running full speed. And here I come, this old, fat, white man. Track it with my gun. And I run right by him. Drilling was in me, babe. The old running back was coming back. I mean, I was getting after you know. I'm booking at this thing. And his eyes, I never forget. I run by him. He's looking at me. Oh, what's going on here? I run up there. The buffalo comes. Boom! I hit him again. He finally drops. We get up, and they're celebrating, and they're laughing. And they're talking in their Zulu language, and they're laughing. I'm saying, what's he saying? He said, well, roughly translated, he says, the old man can't walk, but he sure can run. (laughs) (laughs) But one thing I learned about African bush, it's a dangerous place. One night we were... uh, we, had, we, we put leopard bait up. We were shooting in palos, hanging them in trees where we saw leopard sign hanging, hunting for leopards. And then we'd build a blind. And then we would wait for this leopard to come in and feed on that bait. And when you're hunting in national parks, you, you have to shoot within 30 minutes of sundown. You can't shoot at dark. And on private property, they shoot them with lights. They shine lights up and shoot them. But you can't do that. You have to catch them just when they begin to feed in, in the evening. Usually there's a big black silhouette. On the, on the tree branch. And so we're in there hunting leopard that night, and a female leopard came in to feed, couldn't shoot her. So we were sneaking out quietly. We had to walk about a mile through the dark back to our camp. And we had a little tent pitched up there. And as we're walking out, it's, it's pitch black. I can barely see my professional hunter who's right in front of me. And he's a big guy. He's about six foot three, weighs about 280, big old guy. And, and, and every once in a while, I'd actually reach out and touch his back to make sure he was still there because it's so black. And as we're walking through the still of the night, I hear this sound. It's getting closer. Uh, and I'm thinking, is that what I think it is? Matter of fact, I grabbed my hunter and I grabbed him and he, he leaned back and I whispered, I said, is that what I think it is? He said, yes. He said, you have a bullet chamber, don't you? I said, yes, I do. I had that bullet chamber. I had my thumb on my safety and I had my finger in the trigger well. Because what that was was a lion stalking us. I could hear it, could not see it. Guess who has the advantage in the dark? We walked out that night and, and went in my tent and got in the tent. And by the way, one thing, you know, I, I handed the gun over to one of the, the young men there helping us, one of our trackers. And we sat at camp. We ate something lightly and 
We didn't want to burn a fire because we didn't want to make any tents ourselves because we're going to sneak back in the next morning to this leopard blind and see if, if the other leopards come in with feeding and could possibly still be there. So we walk back in the next morning, no leopard. We walk out, now it's daylight, and we come right back out the same path we went in, and I looked down, and I saw my footprints from the night before, my boot prints. And every place I saw my boot print, there was a cat print, a lion print, right on my footprint, literally walking in my steps. And when I, I experienced that, my first thought went to this. Not only is this a dangerous place, but I went to that scripture in Peter where it says that, you know, be sober because, you know, your adversary prowls around looking for you like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Guys, it's dangerous out there. One thing I learned, you know, I've hunted in the northern woods and I've hunted everywhere. I, where I grew up in Ohio, honey, I never thought about that. You know, I boom, boom, boom. Suddenly I get in Alaska and I'm hunting, and I realize there's stuff that can eat you up here, you know, and you're just an appetizer. Some of you in the room would be more of a main course, but others <laughs> But, you know, and, and suddenly it puts you on a whole new alert. I, I was walking through Canadian woods. I was deer hunting, and I shot this deer. And, it, and, and I didn't make a good kill shot on it, and it was bleeding pretty bad, so I'm tracking it through the woods. And as I'm tracking it through the woods, and I'm following the blood trail, it got eerie silent, got really silent, and there was a strange feeling there. And I'm by myself out in this thick uh, Canadian woods, and I'm crossing over. Every other step, you're crossing over a fallen tree, and I'm following that thing. And I'm sitting here, and I'm listening. The birds stop sound. Everything's quiet, and I'm saying, something is wrong here. What is it? And I'm looking around like crazy. What I didn't know is wolves. I had a pack of wolves on me. And suddenly I saw a little movement over here, real quick. I said, oh, I said, that's a wolf. So I kept walking up, walked over an edge, and I looked over, and there's my deer laying down there. And the wolves are already feeding on my deer that I shot. They're already eating its guts out. And, of course, I hollered at them. Wow. They took off. I said, you know. That was fun. I, I, I've learned that I like danger. I killed a bear a couple years ago with another bear right up my tree. I had a bear hanging on my tree ready to reach and grab my leg, and I shot another bear with my bow who's on the ground. Now, I chased that one down twice. with my. I took an arrow out and swatted it in the nose twice, and it went down. It kept coming back up after me. And I'm out there. There's nobody close to me. I'm an hour away from my nearest guy in a tree with a bow and a knife and two bears. And I'm going, now, this is living, baby. <laughs> of course, when I shot the one bear, he went off and died and bellered so much that this bear scared him. He went down and he disappeared and went over and started eating the beaver bait that we had for the other bear. I love that. But every time I'm around that, I realize, do we realize how dangerous of an environment we live in as men today? And I want to talk to you a little bit about that. I want to talk to you about the dangerous environment we live in and how we have got to be fully on guard and prepared for the challenges we're going to face. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 14. And we're going to look into a, a biblical example here of the life of Jonathan. And he's going to help guide us in our lesson today. 
I don't know, guys, but I've got a feeling this could be the most important time we spend together this entire weekend is this, this session that we're going to jump into today. So I want to ask you to focus with me. I know some of you didn't get much sleep last night because of the guys around you. Some of us just came up here tired before we even got here. We were already worn out from the week. Now we're pressing into this weekend. But I want to challenge you. Hang in there with me for the next few minutes. Focus with me. I really do believe that God wants to do something in a breakthrough way for us this morning as we jump into this study. Okay? So let's just stay with me. Here we go. In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14, we have an unusual story. The, the, the Philistines who were always warring against the Israelites and taking advantage of them, they had a very sophisticated uh, uh, war machine uh, as a country. I mean, these guys had the best of the weapons, and then they would let the Israelites get their crops up and ready to harvest, and then they would come in and raid the country, take all the harvest away from them, and, and once again destroy them. And we find in this story right now that King Saul, who's the first true king of Israel, and his son Jonathan are leading an army that has no weapons. Now, that doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, when you read the background, they didn't have any weapons. And, and so now they're hiding in holes and caves from the army that came in because the Philistines came in, raided, took the high country, and everybody was running for their lives and hiding in holes and caves. And that's where we pick up the story. And so Jonathan, in, in chapter 14 of 1 Samuel, verse 6, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows, and perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Now here, I love this. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Now that's a great verse to remember. It doesn't take a lot of people for God to do a miracle. Matter of fact, it only takes one believing person that has enough courage to step out, take God at his word, and move to higher ground. And God can do something. So, here's what I love. Look at verse 7. The armor bearer says, Do all that you have in, the, in mind, the armor bearer said. Go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. So Jonathan said, Come then. We will cross over towards the men and let them see us. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. If I'm going to go try to get it out in number troop, I'm going to pull a Rambo deal. I'm going in at night. Man, I'm going to have my arrow. I'm going to be quiet and my knife and just take them out. These guys are going out in broad daylight and showing themselves to the men. Now, if they say to us, wait here, uh, we will come to you. We will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of the men showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. And look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews were crawling out of their holes that they were hiding in. And the men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me and the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And so Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer who followed and killed behind him. In the first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about a half acre. When this spread, the whole armies of, of, of the Philistines, terror struck them, and they turned and they fled Israel. 
When the word got out to the Israeli army what had happened, they came out of their hiding, came out of their holes, came out of their caves, and they chased down the Philistines. And it was a great victory that day for Israel, led by one man, Jonathan, the son of the king and a friend of David. Kruger National Park is a... uh, park in northern South Africa that borders Mozambique. Several years ago in Mozambique, they were having some great civil strife and there were great famines in the land. It was a rough time in Mozambique's history. And many refugees were fleeing Mozambique, coming into South Africa looking for relief. Just like now the refugees are fleeing Syria, going into Lebanon. And there's this Park rangers every morning would go out and make their tour through the park. And one morning they came upon a gruesome sight. They found the remains of a refugee who had been attacked by a lion pride and devoured the night before. They started to look at the scene, investigate the scene. And then they went back and actually followed the man's tracks that led to the scene. And pretty soon the story began to unfold what had happened. This refugee... (coughs) was crossing through Kruger National Park at night. They could tell that as he walked, he had a slight limp in his walk. And they also discovered he was traveling alone. There was only one set of footprints. So here he is at night with a slight limp, walking alone through lion-infested territory. I mean, lions look kind of... Just kind of dorsal and look, you know, laying back like this and get all these pictures of them during the daylight. But baby, when you turn the lights out, those things wake up. And they're on the prowl. And they're, and they're prying around at night. I mean, that's when the predators come alive at night. That's when they feed. They feed at night. And so they discover the scene. He came at night. He came alone. They found no weapons around him. And they actually saw where he had been walking And suddenly a lioness came out and started following him at about 50 yards behind him. They saw her tracks come out. And there was a point where he actually stopped and faced the lioness down. And she stopped and he stopped. And then he made the tragic mistake. He turned and he ran. When he tried to run to find cover in the trees, the lioness overtook him, drug him into the bush. The rest of the pride came in and devoured him. Well, guys, I've got to tell you something. I'm coming across those gruesome scenes almost every day in people's lives. And I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. Totally sick of it. And there's some lessons that we can learn from this story of Jonathan and also some lessons we can learn from the story of that Mozambique refugee. And I want to give them to you. You ready? Here we go. These are some principles for how we can have victory in the battle of life. And I'm going to give you four key principles today. And later today, when we break out of here, I want you guys to think about some questions that you're going to discuss about these four areas that I want to share with you today. There's four principles that we need to always adhere to to put ourselves in a position of victory, not defeat. Okay? Here's principle number one. Never travel in the dark places. Write it down. Never travel 
in the dark places. See, the, the danger was for this refugee, he crossed at night. If he had crossed during the day, the, the odds are he would have made it okay. Now, he might have been seen by the rangers, but he would have not been in danger from the predators if he had traveled during the day. You can walk through the bush pretty calmly during the day because you'll scare most stuff off when they see you or hear you. But it's amazing at night that's not the case. That's when they stalk you. I was walking out one night. This is a different leopard blind. I've hunted leopard many times. I've killed several leopards. I, I just I love hunting cats. I'm sorry if you're a cat lover. God bless you. Put it in the house if I'm around, okay? Um, so, you know, <laughs> I'll take it out. So And so I, I was, I'm walking along with this guy, and this ranger, this uh, park ranger comes up alongside of me. It's pitch black. We're walking down this little dirt road back to our vehicle, and suddenly, boom, he falls down. I mean, hard. He hits the ground hard. Well, I figured he just tripped over something. And, and then I heard this noise through the bush. And I picked him up and said, what happened? He said, a hyena just came out and grabbed my heel, grabbed this ranger's heel and jerked his heel and knocked him down. And he fell over on top of the, of the hyena. I'm going, wow. That quick. I mean, you, you, you never know. You, I'll tell you the truth. If they want to take you out, you're gone. There, there's no way you stop it. You, you could, they'd be on you so quick. There's no way. We've got to avoid the dark places. We've got to avoid the dark place. Now, here's what, what do we learn from Jonathan here. When did Jonathan go into battle in broad daylight? Jonathan chose to get in the light of the day and take the battle to those who were coming against him and his nation. And I'll tell you what, guys, that's a big spiritual principle because here's the thing I know. The enemy of our soul's movement is limited to dark places. Wherever there is light, he has no power. We give him too much credit. He travels only in the dark avenues, the dark places. And what he's trying to do is lure us into those dark places so we become vulnerable. Because there he has cover. There he has concealment. I'm going to tell you something. That's not what God intended. Here's a scary scripture. Genesis 4-7. Sin is crouching at your door and it desires to have you, but you must master it. Wow. Of course, we just quoted the scripture about the enemy is like the devil prowling around seeking whom he may devour. But in 1 John, it says that God is light and in him there is no darkness. So let me ask you the simple question. Are you traveling in any dark areas of your life? Because that's where you're vulnerable. Let's talk about three. Three dark areas we have to avoid. First of all is the dark area of the soul. The dark area of the soul is the most dangerous place because the dark area of the soul has to do with our lives not being in Christ. If there's anyone here that's not walking in the light of Christ and you know him as your real and personal Savior and, and you're not there, I'll tell you what, man, you're walking over here in the shadows in the dark places and you are extremely vulnerable. But praise God, when we come out of darkness into light, when Christ comes into our lives and transforms us, he brings us into the kingdom of light. And it's in that kingdom of light that we are not only saved and transformed, but we are protected by the Spirit of God. And we don't have to succumb 
to the enemy that's trying to rob, kill, and destroy everything of value in your life, in your family's life, in your marriage, and everything about you, he's trying to destroy you. That's his whole intent. He tries to lure us into those dark places. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you this weekend to step out of the darkness and into the light by embracing Christ as your real and personal Savior. And tonight, we're going to be praying with you about those opportunities to know how that to receive Him. There's any one of us here would be glad to talk with you one-on-one and help you with those areas in your life. Let's talk about this area. Oh, by the way, I, I got to quote you the scripture. I got this scripture. Now. Just write this scripture down. Psalm 7420. This is a scary scripture. Listen to what the scripture says. Have regard for your covenant because the haunts of violence fill the dark places of the land. The haunts of violence fill the dark places of the land. I tell you a place that I deal with men all the time is the dark place of immorality. Pastor, we have a little thing we do at uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, we bring crosses down. We, have, uh, we started this tradition, oh my goodness, maybe 15 years ago or so. And um, we, we have the men's, uh, men's ministry of our church build these big crosses, and they bring them down, and they carry them in seven crosses we usually have. And we bring them down and line them across our front altars. And then at the, at the end, towards the end of the service, I preach on the cross, teach on the cross, and then I use that scripture that we can come and where Christ has nailed all of our sins to the cross. And then we have a little piece of black paper that everyone has. We pass them out to them with a little pencil. And we say, okay, now, if you have an habitual sin or you have a real problem or you're having a challenge in your walk, I want you to write it down, come up and nail it to the cross. If you've never been saved, I want you to simply write in there, Father, forgive me, and I'm taking my sins and nailing it to the cross. Come nail it. If you're battling with sickness, write that sickness down, come up and nail it to the cross. And I mean, it's amazing the response of people who come and nail, nail their, 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 their sins and challenges to the cross. Well, there was this man, big guy, he was probably about six foot six. He come walking down, and I'm kind of down there just milling among our people. Then after they nail the cross, they take communion, and they go back to their seats. So we're down there. This guy has his hammer, and he starts pounding. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, you can hear him above everyone else nailing. He's driving that thing. He drove it down through the wood, shattered the wood. Just, I mean, unbelievable. Pounding. He's weeping. And I went up to him. I said, I said, and he looked at him. I said, brother. He looked at me. He said, pastor. He said, I am, I am trapped in pornography. I'm trapped in it. It's eating up my life. It's destroying my marriage. It's destroying me. I don't know how to break the curse of it. He says, I brought it to the cross. Wow. I prayed with him. I got some of our men to get with him. I got some of our guys in recovery to get with him. We have this recovery ministry. And I said, you know, helping him with this addiction, this sexual addiction he had, and the grip of pornography in his life. I never forget, one year later, I remember the same guy, same service, walks up to the cross, and he's nailing. Now, kind of nailing normal. You know? <laughs> you know? 
and he walks up to me with this big smile, and he said, Pastor, I've been free for one year. I've been free for one year from pornography. God set me free. And it happened when I came to the cross. I have a guy that's married to one of the most beautiful women you'd ever see. I mean, this woman is not dead gorgeous. He's a pro sports broadcaster. Sharp, handsome guy. I mean, they just look like Barbie dolls. Just tell me. Yeah. So good looking. He came up to me. I know him. We, we play golf together occasionally. He said, Pastor, i got to talk to you. i got a problem. I said, I, he said, I've really got a problem. I said, what is it? You know, I started, you know, I'm on the road all the time. And I go in, I turn the TV on. Next thing I know, I found myself watching these, quote, mature channels. He said, next thing you know, I got sucked into that world. I found myself going to massage parlors. He started telling me, he said, he just opened up this whole thing. I mean, I was, I was trying to keep from acting not shocked because I was shocked because I know him. He's, he's a great quality man. If he walked in here right now, you guys would go, oh, that's the kind of guy I want to hang out with. I mean, he's just, he's got those qualities. I mean, and he's married to a beautiful woman. And I'm going, yeah, I, don't, I don't connect the dots here. I mean, I'm having hard. And he's, he's opening up his heart to me. He's being very transparent because he knows he's about to lose his marriage. He's about to lose everything. This is going to destroy him. I got him with a group of guys to build an accountability group with him. He and I set up an accountability group, and we set up a process now that when he goes in to his hotel room, the first thing he does is disconnect the cable from the TV. He won't watch any TV. So that was the first thing. Don't watch any TV. And the second thing you do when you're walking in a hotel room is call your wife and talk with her and pray with her. He wasn't praying with his wife every day. He wasn't communicating every day. So he got off, he got off isolated out here, you know, somewhere. And I'm saying, no, 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 let's get over. So we started doing through all these practical things with him. And he made himself accountable. And then he found another Christian brother who was actually on the, on, on the team that he was traveling around the country supporting. He found a mature Christian brother on there to hold him accountable. So he started hanging with him, having mutual accountability. And praise God, he conquered it. He restored his marriage. And now he's helping other guys get their marriage restored. But I got to tell you something, guys. The way we're wired, the way we're wired, let's get real. It's a struggle. Everywhere you go, it's a struggle. I thought as I got older, it wouldn't be a struggle. No, it's still a struggle. That's why we have to avoid it. That's why we've got to guard against it. Because those dark places are the places that will ultimately destroy us. We need to get honest with each other. We, we need to really be more transparent about the real challenge. Because here's what I found too. Here, here's a scripture that's always helped me, Pastor. There's no sin that has taken you that's not common unto man. In other words, you don't have a unique struggle. Hello. You've got a pretty common struggle. You know what I mean? Some of us react to it, respond to it differently, handle it differently. Let, let me tell you how I handle it. I had a man, an old-timer, tell me this one time. He says, you know, son... He says, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you have something to say whether they build a nest in your hair or not. You know? And, and, and I, I, when he first said it to me, I'm going, what? <laughs> and and, and then, then it sunk in. The more I digested it, you know, we're going to have all kind of thoughts hit us. 
I mean, multiple times a minute, you know, for some of us. And boom, boom, boom. When you're 16, every other second, boom, 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 boom. Okay, so how do we handle that? How do we process that? How do we deal with that? How do we take those thoughts captive and make them subject to Christ, as the Word of God says? Well, I tell you, for me, I try to fill myself with the Word of God. I try to fill myself and memorize Scripture. With me, I try to, whenever I have a, a moment uh, free where I'm riding in the car, whatever I'm doing, I try to have praise and worship music on. I want to fill my world with praise and worship unto the Lord. I want to fill my word with, with the Word of God. I want to make my conversation stay that way. So I have to, to control the mind, we have to make it subject to Christ and to His Holy Word. So the best way I know to flush out the negative thoughts are to fill it with the positive thoughts. Think on the things of good report, the Bible says. Amen? Think on the things that are worthy, that are honorable, that are pure, that, that are noble. That's what Paul says in Philippians. And so, men, we have to become very disciplined because that's an area of our lives that the enemy is trying to destroy us in. God wired us, and the enemy is trying to take it and pervert that wiring to be something that's not of God. And if you don't struggle with that, then you're not being honest. We might as well just be honest. It's a challenge. It always will be a challenge. But see how when we deal with it openly and we understand it and we get ourselves positioned in the light and we don't let ourselves get lured over here into the shadows that then will pull us into the dark places and then there's where you find the destruction. We have to make the choice. And every day we got choices we got to make, guys, and we've got to make those choices. I'm going to choose to walk in the light. I'm going to choose to get my mind set on the things of God. I'm going to choose to make my relationships to be pure and holy. I won't let any of our staff ever counsel someone of the opposite sex. You just don't do it. Period. Don't do it. If, if you want, of course, I, I'm, I don't counsel. I coach. But even when I coach, I coach with a covering of my wife if it's just another woman. And I tell my young men all the time, I said, I don't care if you have an assistant and it's pouring down rain and she doesn't have a ride, you don't give her a ride home. Give her your car and you stand in the rain, but don't you ride with her. Don't put yourself in a position that where you can ever be even tempted. I had a minister friend of mine over in Tampa. He had an affair with a woman in the choir. And when, when he got down, he said, I said, how in the world, man, did you ever let yourself get? He had a growing church. It blew the church up. It blew him up, blew his marriage up. And you know how it started? Listen to this. One day, a woman backstage is having trouble getting her robe clipped in the back. And he walks up and she says, Pastor, could you clip my robe for me? And when he did, his finger got down on her neck. Huh? That's how it started. Wow, guys. I'm going to tell you, I always look at it this way. If King David could fall, I can fall. As soon as he saw that woman bathing on that roof, he should have been out of there. He should have covered himself with his men. Now, first of all, he shouldn't have even been there. Remember that story in King David? He sent his other men out to war where he should have been. Here's where he shouldn't have been. Guess what time of the day it was? Night, dark, 
on the roof, roaming around, checks her out bathing. I'm saying to myself, what are you doing bathing nude? I guess you bathe nude. <laughs> well, what, what are you doing bathing nude? You know they can see you from the castle. Hello, Bathsheba. Okay, we could stay all day on this one. But guys, I'm just telling you, I'm saying this out of a heart of love because I have too many of my men who are being enslaved by this and being broken by this. I I could just tell you story after story after story after story of men in our church that struggle with this issue. I tell you what, if you don't get it in the light, you're never going to find the victory that God has for you. He doesn't want you to be held captive by any addiction in any way. The other quick place I just want to mention, I'm going to talk about it tonight, is the dark place of unforgiveness and anger. There's a lot of people dealing with this dark place of unforgiveness and anger. We're going to deal with that. We're going to deal with that later tonight. Three more quick points here. I've spent way too long on that point. Let's, let's move on to the next one. So the first point was never Travel in the dark places. So the question in your group you need to really ask, is there any dark places I find myself traveling? Are there any relationships that are in the shadows that I shouldn't be in? Am I finding myself vulnerable in these areas? Now, this is nothing is to me. Who in the world is going to walk through the bush of Africa at night with no weapons? The very first safari I ever did in Africa was in Kenya. I was over there. We were doing leadership development, and uh, Terry and I have a mutual friend by the name of John Maxwell, and uh, we were over there doing leadership training with Dr. Maxwell, and uh, we had been traveling. We were uh, through several countries. We were in Nigeria. We were in Kenya. We were in Namibia. We were in South Africa, and so we're in Kenya, and we're coming to the end of our trip, and he said, hey, i got a special treat for you, Tom. We're going to go to the Masamara, and we're going to do a photo safari for a couple of days in the Masamara. In Kenya, you can't hunt, it's, it's, it, which is, I think it's a crime. So, that you can't hunt in Kenya. But it's just photo safari. So here we are on a photo safari with no camera. Okay, that's good, isn't it? So I bought a little disposable camera at, the, at, the, at, the, at our safari headquarters there. And so for our, uh, when we wanted to really get a close-up shot, I would hand it to the guy in the front seat, and he would reach out like this and take a picture. If we wanted a wide angle, I'd hand it to the guy in the back seat, and he would take a picture. So that was our thing. And uh, so we don't have any cameras. We're on a photo safari. So to me, it was great. I loved it. We're riding around, you know, in the, in the Land Rovers and looking at all the animals and the elephants and all the herds and everything else, you know. But I wanted more excitement. And so we got back, and I said, is there any kind of a walking safari? He said, oh, yeah, we offer it for guests. Very rarely they take it. But we'll walk you down to the river, and you can see the hippos and all this stuff in the river. I said, oh, sign me up for that next morning. So we go on a walking safari. So here I got a Zulu guide. He's got a spear and their little uh, ceremonial club that they carry, a little club, okay? And uh, he's dressed, you know, in the Scottish colors that they have. And then I've got this guy from camp, and he's carrying a 375 H&H rifle, okay? And I have nothing. So I picked up a stick, like that's going to really be a big deal. 
So we go walking on this, and we're walking through it. We come through this thick area, and we come out to an open plain, and we round this corner. As we round the corner, boom, we're face-to-face with a herd of Cape buffalo. And the guy says, freeze, don't move. So I freeze. I freeze. And so, here's, so the bull, the big bull in front, he does a mock charge, and he comes charging at us. Okay? And he charges up, and the guy says, don't move, don't move, don't move. And the bull charges and stops. Okay? I'm saying, okay, that's good. And then he looks, and he says, now... If he charges again, we're going to run to these trees to our left. There was a bamboo, uh, real thick bamboo bushes over here, about 40 yards to our left. And right away I start calculating. Running. The slowest guy. (laughs) He's going to get taken down. He's got a spear. He's skinny. He runs. The guy behind me is big. He's got a gun. He runs. I'm me. I said, this isn't right. So I turned to the guy with the gun. I said, give me that, give me that 375 and you run. <laughs> and so we sit there and the guy finally makes this noise and hollers at him. And we went there. Then we go on down a little farther and there was a rogue elephant that had attacked a, 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 a one of the tribesmen down there, and he came out after being attacked by this rogue elephant and says, be careful, you're going through this bush, there's a rogue elephant there, and he will attack you. I've been attacked by elephants before. I, I had an elephant charge our vehicle one time. It's unbelievable. And I've been attacked, attacked on foot by elephants. And I mean, those boys are bad boys. I mean, they can tear you up. And so we're walking through, and I'm going, what am I doing here in this dangerous place with no weapons? I said, that's it. You will never find me on a walking safari again unless I look like a Mexican bandit. I'm going to have bullets here, bullets here, guns here, automatic weapons, machetes, everything else you can think of. I'm going to be prepared, baby. Whatever comes at me, it's going to at least bleed while it's eating on me. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, guys, listen to me. You just can't go lollygagging around through this world without having the weapons of Christ on you every day. Because it's dangerous out there. You've got to be prepared and know how to defend yourself. And I'll tell you what, this is another whole lesson. So the simple principle is never fight without his weapons. His weapons. I love this verse. In 2 Corinthians 10.4, it says this. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And the enemy wants to build up strongholds in your life and in my life to try to rob us of the fullness of the joy and the peace and the love and the life that God has ordained for us. Christ has come that we'd have abundant life. The enemy has come to rob, kill, and destroy the life that God's intended for you and for me. But we have to learn how to fight, and we need to learn how to fight with his weapons. We need to learn how to put on the armor of God, the armor of light, and be men who know how to fight. What I love about old Jonathan, he had one sword. But he took it with him, and he took it and went to the high ground to defend. Here's the third principle. Never run in the face of battle. Never run. Once you run, you become the prey. One night I did something really stupid. I was out in the bush. been in this camp for about 10 days. There was a burned out field where lightning had struck this field and burned it all out. And I had a, I had a satellite phone 
and I, I wanted to make a call home. I ca- tried to call home every couple of days, just check on everybody. And so I, I started walking, trying to get coverage. It was at the end of the day. We had hunted, and I had a very successful day that day. I didn't have my weapons on me. You never walk out of camp without your weapons. I didn't have my weapons on me. I had the satellite phone, and I'm, and I'm going out here, and I'm walking around. I finally find coverage. And I, I go, oh, good, good, good. So I got focused on that, and I make the call, and I'm talking. Matter of fact, I called my wife first, talking to her. Then I called the church. I'm checking with it. Then I'm talking to one of our business administrators about, you know, we had a construction project going on. I wanted to get an update on it. Boom, boom, boom. Suddenly, to, I forgot the time, and it's getting dark. Camp is about up at the where we are at uh, where we had breakfast from here. I've walked that far, just moseying on my own. Right out in front of me, at the porch, is these heavy weeds, about waist high. And I noticed them moving. Something was moving through the weeds towards me. I'm on the phone. Suddenly, I see the eyes. Okay, it's a predator. They came up, they sit down right on the edge of the, of, the, of, the, of the weeds, wouldn't step out into the opening of the burnt field, and there I am. No weapons. I have a phone. I got a predator right there. I look around, and I said to the guy on the phone, his name was David, I said, Dave, I got something stalking me. Would you pray right now with me in Jesus' name? Uh, tell Donna I love her. I hung the phone up, I kept my eye on that thing, and I just started doing this, one little small step at a time, one little small step at a time, one little small step at a time, okay, and I finally worked my way back to camp, because I knew if I had turned and started walking with my back to that predator, I'm prey. I had a lioness charge me one time, that was fun. <coughs> she charged me. I was laying down hunting a lion. The lioness comes from over here, spots us, sees us. She comes charging in at full speed at us. And my hunter says, get up. I had her right in my sights. I was going to shoot her. I was going to shoot her right in, the, right in the head. She's charging. She says, get up. And so we stood up, and when we did, he went, ha, at this lioness. She's right back about here, right there. And she slams the brakes on. Stops. Looks at us. Springs off into the bush. And he looked at me and said, don't you ever run when they charge you. If anything, charge them. That's your best chance. I go, wow. Charge a lion? I had a chance this past year. Another lioness came after us. So what did we do? We charged her. What did she do? Now, the big boys, <laughs> here's the principle I want you to get from this. You can never run from your problems or your challenges. We have to turn and face them in the power and grace of God. I love Jonathan because he came out of hiding and he faced the challenge head on. And he climbed up to where it was to deal with it. So many of us try to escape. We have marriage conflict. The easiest thing is to flee, just escape. Find justification, say radical things like, well, you know, I don't know if I ever really loved her. 
I don't know if this is ever meant to be. I don't think God was ever in this. That's amazing stuff I hear. Man, I hear stuff like that. I want to smack people. Oh, I do. I had a couple come in to me one time. They started saying all this stuff. I said, will you guys shut up? I said, that's pitiful. I said, you know that's not true. You know you're mad in love with each other one time. I said, now you hate each other, and you want to practically kill each other. And I said, I'm not going to let you do it. And I, I, I just grabbed them like Boudreaux. Praise God, they were at my house Saturday night watching a football game. I got this beautiful daughter. And every time I see Mark, I say, Mark, and her name was Barbara. She was a professional golfer. I said, Mark, aren't you glad you stuck with her, baby? You didn't run. He said, oh, pastors, our marriage is better than it's ever been. But there was a point when they were both ready to run. It's in those points that we need our greatest courage to stand and say, Lord, I need your courage. I need your help. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. I, I want to come into the light of your word, your truth, and I want to stand in that. And, and I, want, I want to simply be the man you've called me to be. I don't want to run from the challenge. I don't want to run from the pain. I don't want to run from the intimidation that's before me. I want to stand with courage. And I want to take it on. Because I know if I come in the name of the Lord God Almighty, I will overcome. What you love it about David? When David ran out there and charged old Goliath, he was nine foot six inches tall, and David's about four foot six inches tall. I mean, he looked like Howdy Duty out there running up against a Goliath. They said he had ruddy complexion, I mean, he had freckles, he was redhead and freckle face. That's Howdy Duty. Any of the old guys remember Howdy Duty? <laughs> it's Howdy Duty time. It's Howdy Duty time. So here goes Howdy Duty charging Goliath, nine foot six inches tall. I had lunch with the Dream Team in Atlanta, and I remember meeting Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal, for the first time. I came around the corner. Shaq was over here, and I came around the corner, and I actually ran into Shaq. The first thing I noticed was <coughs> my nose was in his belly button. <laughs> the second thing I noticed, I looked down, and his feet, and I'm not exaggerating, his feet are like this. I mean, what's he got, a 26 or something like that? I mean, I looked at those feet, and then I saw those tree trunks of legs, and then I looked up, and like this, and he goes, what's up? What's up? You know, I'm just unbelievable. Can you imagine Goliath, nine foot six inches tall? And what David said, he says, you come to me with your sword and your spear, and I come to you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. <laughs> Took his own sword out and cut his head off. I love you. I grabbed a sword one time. I was preaching on that pastor. I had this big sword on the stage, and we had these nice little plants and stuff on the stage. And I got fired up, and I jumped up on the, I jumped up on the monitor like this, and it rocked on me just like that. And I said, "He's still alive!" And I started cutting on the thing, and I took the sword and I go swat to cut his head off and cut down all the plants. My wife in the front row, they were darting back. They thought, "Man, that sword's gonna come out of his hand, and kill us all." One time I had a sling, Pastor. I made the sling up. Another time I'm teaching on David. I'm, I'm saying, if you don't kill, I preached a sermon on, you better take on the giants while you're young in your life. Because you, you, you know that when David killed Goliath, why he picked up five stones, don't you? Why he picked up five smooth stones, there were five giants. Four of them were up on the hill. Only one of them was in the valley, Goliath. He had one cousin up on the hill. It was so ugly, he had six fingers and six toes on, on his feet and six fingers on his hands. His mother didn't even name him. Can you imagine a mother not naming you? 
If you're so ugly that your mama won't even give you a name, now that's an ugly dude. Yeah. David didn't pick up five stones in case he missed on the first throw. There were five giants up on the hill. And so he killed Goliath with one shot. And later in his life, he had to then fight the other four. And he was too weak to take them on by himself. And his mighty men helped him kill the other four giants. Guys, you need to read your Bible. It's filled with action and adventure. I love it. Woo. So anyways, I'm killing these other giants in church. And I, and, I, and I made up a leather sling, just like David would have had. And I had, I got uh, golf ball wiffle balls. And I was using them as my stones. And I actually put a little weight inside. I weighted them down with duct tape. I was working duct tape. And I was trying to get the weight right so I could throw these things and release them. So I'm, I'm preaching a sermon about how to kill the other giants in your life. How to face the giants and kill them in your life. They come against you. And so there was a bunch of young people sitting right over here. And I'm getting ready to kill my first giant. And I said... You got it, and I forget what I said. And I throw it right at them. And that ball goes right out through there. And all the young people do this. They duck. And we had one sweet holiness woman sitting back there that had a beehive hairdo. One of these big old beehive, you know, big honey buns, whatever they're called. I don't know what, sticky buns or something they have up there. And that thing went and landed right in her hair. It was the greatest moment. Anyways, um, but guys, seriously, seriously, guys, we got to be man enough to identify our giants that we're battling with, and then we got to have enough courage through the power of grace and God to stand up against them. Then here's here's the message for today. I'm, I'm, I've said all this other stuff to introduce the message, okay? Which is the fourth and most important point. You never go into battle alone. You never go into battle alone. Turn and tell at least two people that right now. Tell them. You know, the refugee... From Mozambique, he was traveling alone. One of the enemy's greatest tools to use against you and me is this, isolation. He, he wants to get us away from those who can help us most. I tell my people all the time, I said, you know when you need to be at church? When you feel the least like being there. That's when you need to be there the most. When you feel the least like hooking up and going to a men's retreat, that's when you need to be there the most. Because, see, the enemy wants to keep you alone. And then he lies to you to make you think you're strong enough on your own. And you're simply not. I'm going to tell you right now, if you try to take on the enemy by yourself, he will overcome you. God did not create you to go through life on your own. This thing called life is a team sport. He created us. That's what he calls the church, the body of Christ. We are members of that body. We are members of that team. And we were created to function together, to team up. There's a a term called paraclete, which simply is a term that refers to a warrior who will fight 
back to back with you. Come up here, brother. Come up here with me. Leave your Bible there. Come on. So I got this motorcycle riding preacher here. Radical, long hair, beard. I love it. <laughs> well, I think he's got a little Samson thing going on. But anyways, here's what a paraclete would do. Paraclete's right here. I got your back. We're going to fight back. You know what happened in the story? When, when the Bible says when, when Jonathan got up on the hill, they fought. And, and it says that the armor bearer fought right behind him. So I'm back here guarding you. I'm guarding your blind side. I'm guarding your back side. I'm here fighting. I'm with you. Come on. You gotta, we're going to circle. We're going to fight them. You know what happened? The armor bearer didn't have a sword. He didn't have a sword. As soon as Jonathan struck the first one down, you know what happened. He grabbed that guy's sword. And he's got it up here. And he said, okay, now, now we're going to get after it. Here's what else I love. When your partner falls, he gets struck in battle. He gets wounded. The paraclete would straddle the fallen soldier's body to protect him until either the battle was won or until help could come to get relief for the one who had fallen. He does not leave his partner. See, God wants you to be a paraclete. He wants you to have a paraclete. Our relationship with those closest to us are going to make us or break us. We've got to have that paraclete. Thank you, Pastor. Give it up for Pastor. I need a paraclete that's going to cover me in prayer and pray with me. Because most of the breakthroughs we're going to have are going to be in prayer. We're going to break down the strongholds in prayer. We're going to get revelation through prayer. Prayer will, prayer will ba- bring balance back to our lives every time. Prayer will stir up the courage in our lives. Prayer will refocus the truth in our lives. Prayer is a key. You need a prayer warrior praying with you every single day. Now you have no excuse. You can text a prayer. You can email a prayer. You can call with a prayer. You need to be praying every day. Right before I got up, I was on my phone talking to my wife, texting to my wife. I said, honey, I'm about to walk up and speak. I know you're praying for me, and I know you have others praying for me. And I said, I love you. And she said, I am praying for you right now. Boom. And that's the last thing I had before I came up here. I communicated with my sweetheart because I knew she'd be praying for me because I need that. I have men praying for me. I have my elders praying for me right now, right as we're doing this. Pastor, in our church, we have... um, a prayer team that prays over every service. They have a prayer room. They go in. We have a monitor in there so they can watch the service. And they pray during the entire, entire time of the service. So they know when I'm getting up to preach, that's what they focus on prayer right there. And, and, and when it's time to give an invitation or time to challenge people uh, to take the next step in the Lord, they're praying for that. And it's amazing, the power of prayer. You need that partner in prayer. Secondly, you need someone who's going to protect you and cover your back. Someone who believes enough in you, they're always looking out for the blind spots that might come against you in your life. And they're there to encourage you in these areas and help you grow in these areas. And have enough, you have enough relationship equity that they can speak into your life the things that you need spoken into your life. That's so important, guys. 
And plus also, a true paraclete is going to be someone who affirms you, who will be there to strengthen you. Don't you love it when the armor bearer said to, to Jonathan, Jonathan said, we're going, to, we're going to climb the mountain and go, and go get him. And I think this is what God has us to do, and I think the Lord's going to give it to us. And he's looking back at the paraclete. What's the paraclete's answer? I am with you, heart and soul. Do you know what you can do when you go into battle and you've got someone fighting at your side that says, baby, I'm with you, heart and soul. I'm not backing down. If we're going into a dark alley, there's some thugs waiting on me, I want some guys that aren't going to run. We're going to stand there and fight. That's what you need. That's what I need. I'm blessed to have some great paracletes in my life. And finally, you need a paraclete in your life because he'll also hold you accountable. You need to be able to look somebody straight in the eyeball, and they look you straight in the eyeball, and they know what's going on, what's not going on, and say, hey, how you really doing? Now, come on. How you really doing with this struggle? How you really been doing with that thing you've been, you've been fighting with? Come on, talk to me. What do we need to do to get you back strong? What do we need to do to get you back on track? See, the guys that are in recovery ministries, I met Michael and some of the other guys here, they're in recovery. They're that way. I mean, these guys are just like, I go to our recovery meetings, and it's like I, get, I, I blush. I mean, I mean, it's the stuff they say. I mean, they're just so candid. They're just so open. They're so transparent. And I'm going, that's part of their healing process. Because, you know, they've been there, they've done that, they know what it is, they know when you're conning them, they know when you're lying, they know when you're blowing smoke, you know where. And, you know, they're just going, hey, 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 let's get real here. Well, we need to get real with each other in a loving way, in an affirming way. But we need to get real with each other. We need each other. You never go to war in the dark times, in the dark places. Get into the light. So you guys need to ask yourselves the question, are there any dark places that right now I'm traveling in my heart, in my mind, or in my life, or in my relationships, or in my business dealings, or anything that's of the dark places that's not pleasing to God, that I've suddenly become vulnerable to the enemy? Am I really, am I really fighting with the weapons of God, or am I trying to rely just on my own strength? Well, see, some of us, we just... We just kind of rely on our own strength, and that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to learn how to rely on His strength through His Word, through His Spirit working in us and through us. So if I've been running from it, the real issues in my life, if I've been running from them and trying to invade them, trying just not to totally ignore them, and, and suddenly I become prey, and am I in this battle alone? Or am I really? Do I really have another paraclete with me? And am I willing to be a paraclete to someone else? I think one of the great questions you guys ought to talk about today is, who's your paraclete? Who is it? How, how does that relationship work? What does it mean to be a good paraclete? Because I'll tell you what, you've got to invest time to be a good paraclete. And here's the problem with it. Time is probably our scarcest commodity that most of us have is time. Yet, I have discovered this. I'm running like a scalded dog in my life right now. I'm, I'm heading up a leadership organization called Equip with Dr. John Maxwell that trains somewhere close to 6 million leaders in 174 nations of the world. And I just took over the leadership of that organization. What? And I'm still active in our church and heading up all of our construction projects. And I'm on the teaching team. And I mentor my son, who's now become our lead pastor. 
We just now bought a jewelry store in a mall in Boynton Beach, 126,000 square foot store, and we're renovating it. It's going to be a, a, a ministry center. Uh, we're a full partner in the mall, which one of the only churches in America that ever is a full partner in the mall. We're a full partner with Macy's and all the other big stores. But we think we'll grow a congregation there for about 10,000 in that mall alone. We're thinking about renting out all the other mall spaces around us so we can bring our own businesses into the mall that we want to have around our store and create our own little Christian hub in the mall. And one day we think we will take the mall over. Yeah, well, our goal is to take the entire mall over. Macy's hit the road jack. Penny's hit the road jack. Sears hit the road jack. We're going to take it over and have our own Christian mall, university, and everything else right there in the mall. Then up to the north of us, we have 321 acres. We're building a new campus up there for the church, and we're going to build a family life camp just like this camp here, the same type of concept. This is beautiful. I love this thing. And uh, to have 321 acres is an unbelievable deal. And now we're having churches coming to us and approaching us and saying, would you take us over? And we just had another church give us their uh, about $3.6 million worth of property the other day. And we're taking that church over and we're going to go in and renovate it and bring a new congregation to it and bring life to it. And we got all these things happening. And I had all those things up for us that we're doing. Because I love construction and all that. So I've been traveling a lot. Just got back from the Philippines to Hong Kong. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just going everywhere right now. My wife says, what, what's, what's wrong with you? You're, you're, you're crazy. I said, I know it. I'm, I'm nuts. But you know what I found out? I still make time to hunt. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got my hunting schedule all worked out. I'm going after that bear. I'm going after some big-time deer. Then I'm going after some more big-time deer. And then I'm going to have some more big time deer in three different states. So here's my conclusion to this. You always find time for what is a priority in your life. And here's what we have to do. We have to establish a new priority that our relationships and building strong relationships with other godly men who will be a paraclete to us is absolutely essential for our spiritual health, well-being, and growth. And if you get nothing else out of this weekend but that, and you, will be, and you will be intentional about building and investing into a relationship with another godly man, it will be the best thing you've ever done for your life. The best thing you've ever done. We need some men who will be like the old Cheyenne dog soldier. You know the story of the Cheyenne dog soldier. When they would go into battle to prove their bravery, they would take a stake and drive it in the ground. And then they would take a strip of rawhide, about six to eight foot long, and they would tie a knot around their ankle, and they would tie a knot around that stake, and they would stand in the battleground. And the stake was there so they could not retreat. There was no retreat. There was either victory or death, but there was no retreat. And I tell you what, God is looking for some men who will drive the stake in the ground on the principles and precepts of God and His Holy Word, strap their life to it and say, you know what, I am committed to serving my King of Kings and I'm going to fight the good fight of faith and I'm not going to compromise and I'm not going to retreat in my life and I'm going to stand and fight. 
And I'm looking for men that are going to drive their stake in the ground because I want to drive my stake in the ground right beside them. I say, okay, boys, let's drive our stakes in the ground. We're going to fight for the kingdom of God. We're going to fight for the souls and lives of our family, for our community, for our nation, and for the nations of the world. Because we are. We are. The men of God. 